Welcome to the Velo News Podcast. Nate Brown checking in here. We have now done 13 stages of this year's tour. I can definitely say the legs are hurting a bit. It's painful to walk down to the meals now, so that's when I know I'm really starting to go into a box. It's been a good tour so far, definitely for the team. We got the stage win, three go. He's been riding incredible. He's fourth overall. It's been it's been amazing to work for Rigo. Rigo's probably the easiest guy to work for. He's so laid back. I mean, even yesterday when he got the time penalty, he said, ah, no, no stress, guys, no stress. And that just shows Rigo's character. He's just, he's great to work for, and it's great to see him riding so well. So hopefully we can keep this flow going, and hopefully we can get him on the podium by Paris. For my own personal goals, you know, I think the team has changed our outlook on the rest of the race now that Rigo's riding so well. We are definitely hunting for the breakaways early on. But I think we will focus more on Rigo now that he's riding so well. I mean, we always knew he was going to ride well, but I don't think we really saw a podium like this. So we're definitely going to change our focus a little bit and put more resources into Rigo, but hopefully we'll have opportunities to go for the break. And if they do arise and present themselves, I will definitely try to jump in the break. And if it's to go for the stage or to be up the road for Rigo, whatever it is, I'll be ready to go. One week left, boys. I got this. Nate out. Listening to the Velo News podcast, I'm Fred Dreyer, editor in chief of Velo News. I am sitting in downtown Toulouse, France, with two of three of my favorite people. I have uh, Andrew Hood, Velo News, sitting right next to me. His beard looks very cold, looks very delicious. I have Kaylee Fretz, senior editor, Velo News, hey, sitting Fred. right across from me. I'm right here, and we have a mystery guest. We do have a mystery guest. We yeah. can't tell you who it is. No, I know it's very special. Yeah. We're looking at him. He's smiling at Rhymes us. Rhymes with Bantz yeah, Farmstrong. I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we wish. Very special episode of the Vellon News Podcast. <laughs> anyway, guys, we're in downtown Toulouse, France. We uh, today watched Stage 13, which was the stage that the we've stage. all been waiting to see. I feel like I've been touting the stage for a solid four months. I think it was, it was like six months ago when the Tour de France released stage 13 which was very short only 101 kilometers three punchy climbs and it reminded us so much of the formigal stage that's stage 15 of the vuelta espana where the whole race got turned on its head and i think all of us looked at the stage for today and just were like yeah baby this is gonna be it man <laughs> what do you think hoodie I think the big difference between Formigal and today's stage was Formigal was a mountaintop finale. Today was not. And I think there was a big difference in how it all shaked out. But I thought it was like uh, kind of a beautiful poetry that we had the two Spaniards out there, Landa and Contador. Spanish style racing, the two biggest names in, in the Spanish Peloton were out there leading the punch. So from the gun, the French 
riders were really motivated. The other thing we should note it's is that Bastille it's Bastille Day. <laughs> we're in downtown Duluth. It's Bastille Day. You may hear some fireworks go off in the background at some yeah, point. And maybe drunk people walking around. <laughs> um, that's just part of the ambiance. You know, when we move the Villanews Podcast World Headquarters from place to place, that's just that's just sometimes part of the game. it ends up in a bar. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it ends up uh, in downtown Toulouse on Bastille Day. So <laughs> we saw the French riders attack from the gun. Warren Bargui and uh, Chavanel was attacking. Bargui was attacking. I mean, pretty much everybody attacked was attacking. at some point in the, at the start. The Vokler yeah. was was going for it over and over and over again. Bargilla was going for it over and over and over again. Uh, Bargilla got brought back yeah. after a little while, and but the the final the final group, yes, included Warren Bargilla, who ended up winning the stage 101 kilometers later. The big attack that went was Alberto Contador finally put an attack that stuck, and he went away much less embarrassing than yesterday with Mikel Landa. And at some point later in the stage, they were joined by Nairo Quintana, Warren Bargilla. And then they duked it out for the finish. Meanwhile, behind them, GC Group containing Froome, Aru, all the all the big guns sort of battled it up, uh, battled it out. And, um, you know, it, I don't know. I don't know what you, how you guys felt. I thought it was a great stage to watch. This was good TV. Yeah, I mean, we've touted this stage for a long time. Uh, and we've said that these short stages, there's been a number of them. There's been that, that obviously, that, that Formigal stage at the Vuelta. There was another one at the Giro this year that's 115 kilometers long that was also pretty exciting. We've said that these stages are, are good for quite some time. We were kind of just hoping that that would be the case in the Tour de France because the Tour is indeed very, very different from the Giro and the Vuelta. And there were some differences today. It was a fantastic stage to watch. There was a ton going on. They were attacking the entire time, and that's exactly what we expect when the stage is short. You know, these guys, they can go full gas for two and a half, three hours. That's not a problem. But there were some major differences. At the top of my list... Other than what Hoodie said earlier, which is that it did not finish at the top of the climb, it finished way down to the bottom, like 25k after the the peak of the final climb, was that instead of having a leader of the race with a very strong team that ended up failing him, we had a leader of the race with a very weak team that was obviously going to fail him, and the strongest team in the race, Team Sky, really putting the boots to the leader, which was Fabio Aru today, and his Astana squad, which unfortunately for him, really fell apart rather quickly. Uh, we saw Jakob Fuglsang pull out of the race today. He's got a broken arm. I can't believe he even made it through yesterday, honestly. Uh, Fabio Aru was definitely missing Jakob today. And I think that uh, they'll be missing him a lot in these uh, this last week. It's the big weakness really of Astana. They have no one now really left over for to help Aru. We have Lutsenko. <laughs> is like, yeah, well, we have uh, Lutsenko is kind of like a walking mummy after his crash. He's, he's, he has so many bandages on him. I, I don't know how the guy can even uh, get on a bike. That's the big difference. I mean, it was interesting. We had a conversation this morning with uh, the, the uh, sport director from Sky Service Canavan. He was saying, now this tour is turned upside down in the sense that Sky is not going to be leading the charge, controlling this pace. It's up to Astana, and Sky was turning the screws already today. We can expect more of that across the Massey Central. It's only six seconds to uh, between Froome and Aru. I think that Sky is still racing this thing, like they're controlling the yellow jersey, but they're putting that pressure on Aru early right, already. I think it's going to be a real test of how important a team truly is in modern Grand Tour racing. Because if Aru can hang on to the yellow jersey through the Alps, it's it's basically proof that you can... The team is less important than we thought. 
Uh, and I think that that if he plays it smart, if he plays his rivals against each other a little bit, if he just basically if he just follows Chris Froome around, it's entirely possible that he could hang on to it for quite a while. We do have those two big stages in the Alps. Uh, I do think that I do think that Aru could potentially keep yellow up until Marseille, at which point those six seconds between him and Chris Froome will evaporate rather quickly. I think we'll see a scenario turn itself on a head with Aru getting Arude, like the way that he <laughs> played, pulled the trick to Dumoulin in the 2015 uh, Welta, because it's almost the, the, the situation has been changed here in the sense that Dumoulin, strong rider, had no team. Now it's Aru, strong rider. He has no team, and I think Sky is going to set him up and just take him down hard one day. So agree to disagree. So there were multiple components that went into why today's stage was a compelling watch. It wasn't just that it was a short stage, but like like you said, Kaylee, when it's a short stage, people go full gas. They know that you can ride a really hard tempo, like really hard for 101 k's. It's I mean it's three hours of racing. So. We had guys riding really hard, but we had it come on the heels of, like, the hardest day of the tour up to this point. Yesterday, up to Paragood, 212 kilometers, six categorized climbs, the crazy steep ramp, and people came into this stage really fatigued. Uh, some guys were injured. I talked to Dan Martin. I mean, his back is still sore from that stage nine crash, and the way it impacted his race was that you know, here's a guy who usually, we're, he's known for his, his punchy uh, attacks. He's known for a guy that, uh, you know, that final ramp today could have, like, thrown some haymakers at people. Instead, he just had to ride a really hard tempo because he knew that there's no way to attack because he's so injured right now. He can't really stand up that well, yeah. But we saw a number of uh, riders today just look just really freaking hosed. I mean, even Contador, who started that attack, it's like, you know, the old Contador, the old dancing on the pedals Contador. Oh, I love that guy from like 2009, <laughs> 2008. Oh man, he's gone. He slow, yeah. <laughs> he's slow, he's slow he's waltz, he's waltz, 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 one of the things that stood out to me and one of the things that stood out to me about previous short stages when they work it's because that previous stage was really hard uh, and I think that's an important component and it's definitely I think ASO knows that I think they learned that from Formigal I think that you know the Giro definitely took that into account when they were designing their route this year and they definitely took that into account when they were designing the Tour de France route this year and they did it you know like you said 212 212 Ks, that's a big long day that definitely has put, put some sting in the legs. And then today, Tafoy, wow, blew up almost immediately, exactly as we expected. But it was interesting who was the team blowing everything up. It was Team Sky. Everyone was thinking that maybe Froome could get caught out, see a repeat of Frumigal from last year when he was the guy who was getting caught out. But today we saw Sky taking it to everybody else. And I think that shows a lot about the depth of that team and how much confidence they have they can still win this tour. And I think Froome, was, he was crook. I mean, yesterday he was overcooked. He was being cui going up to Paris <laughs> And Do I not, think, just I think if, he, if you're in France, <clears throat> never order your steak being cui, by the way. <laughs> but I think he was being cui. I think a lot of people made a mistake yesterday by not trying to go over the top of the Paris and taking it to Froome when they had him on the ropes. Because he lost 22 seconds in 300 meters. I mean, yesterday, granted, very, very steep ramp at the end. There's like the, but that, the could been, that could have been bigger. That definitely could have been bigger. It could have been a lot bigger. And then today, I think that I think Team Sky saved the tour today, and I think they saved the tour for uh, Froome to win his fourth Grand Tour. That's my hot take. I think they saved it for Mika Landa. 
Yeah, I mean, that is the like the subtext here. That's the big storyline going on. You know, you wrote about this yesterday, about how Mika Landa is, as, you know, he is the chief lieutenant at Team Sky right now. He sits in, I believe, fifth place in the overall standings. He's become another card for Team Sky to play. But as we've seen with Team Sky at the Tour de France, it's all in for Chris Froome. So what do you do when you have a guy who may or may not be stronger than your team leader? Today what they did was they, they put him up the road. And there was a moment there where I think he had like a two-minute and 30-second gap. Was in, I think he was in virtual yellow briefly, yeah. He was, if he wasn't, he was getting very close. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, they pegged the gap back at the end to, I believe, like a minute and 30. Um Strangely, with Mikhail Kwiatkowski running yeah. on the front. Well, the, the big problem there was that uh, Quintana was with Barguil. Had Quintana not been there, I think they would have led uh, Landa land ride all the way to the finish in yellow, even perhaps. Yeah, yeah, it was certainly an odd look, though, because you had you did have it Froome and Kwiatkowski both pulling very, very hard, uh, pulling time back on their own teammate on Landa, and Landa without that might have been probably probably about thirty seconds back on Aru at this point, which would put him in third as opposed to fifth. Here's a question. Do we really think that Team Sky sees Landa as a potential card to play? I mean, Kaylee, you wrote about you wrote today about how uh, Team Sky used the, the card analogy multiple <laughs> times. Lot. Oh, yeah, these <laughs> cards to play. The deck of cards includes all these strong guys. <laughs> I don't know what card we're going to play. Do we really think they see uh, Landa as a card? No, I don't really. Th- I mean, I think that Landa sees himself as a card. I certainly think that Landa sees himself as a card. Uh, I think he's, he's, he sees himself as a potential winning card, actually. Froome definitely sees him as a uh, probably a mild threat. Uh, I don't think the team really views Landa as a card for the victory. They just view him as a card for you know various tactics over the next week or so. That said, did there did seem to be... And this is this is again this is you know this is our classic podcast speculation here, but there did seem to be some tension at the Sky Bus. What'd afterward. you see? What'd you say? You I'll, saw some stuff. I saw some stuff. Well, no, actually, what I saw was a lack of stuff. Okay. What I saw was I was I was hanging out from, you know, getting elbowed in the face by random French people trying to get <laughs> trying to get videos. Customary. Of it was pretty normal for after stage, uh, and what I saw was, so, Froome and Landa came in separately. They hadn't we believe actually seen each other yet uh and they never did you know no, no, no handshake no hug no no acknowledgement whatsoever they didn't even look at each other and i'm sitting over the corner kind of waiting for them to you know at least give a High little five. like yeah like a little you know like slap me some skin like bro, bro head <laughs> nod or some of that and they, they literally they set up on trainers on opposite sides of their paddock and they didn't even look at each other which tells me that though, despite the fact that they're they're using all these playing card analogies and they're talking about Landa as a, sort of a viable alternative for Yellow, I don't think Froome is all that stoked on that. Um, as our in-house body language expert, Kaylee, I know that you uh, got a minor at the University of Body Language. Uh, how would you describe that type of relationship then? Icy, warm, hug? <laughs> what, 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 what do you say? I would describe it as extremely icy. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the key there is that Lando is leaving Sky at the end of the season. Right. So they're not going to race to let another guy win 
their Tour de France. They've won four of the last five tours, Team Sky. So Landis on the way out, rumored to be going to Movistar. So not a lot of lost love there, is there? Well, and then there's the fact that we, we, we spoke with Contador. Well, somebody spoke with Contador. I think, Hoodie, you grabbed the quote. Uh, that said, that basically said that Contador was working for Landa today because he would prefer to keep the Tour de France in the house. I believe was the was the translation, meaning that he would like the Tour to be won by a fellow Spaniard, which would be Landa, not Chris Froome. Yeah, you gotta love. You gotta, that's why we love the tour, right? You have all these subplots, these stories. It's like a spy novel. <laughs> so we got couldn't make it up, really. You know, it's like uh, Landa Frooming Froome. That's the big question. <laughs> God, I love it. Well. Uh, I believe, Kaylee, you got a uh, audio grab from uh, Nicolas Portal, who is the director sportive for Team Sky, talking about the day, talking about the tactics. Uh, let's let's listen in and try to play also the the cards that we have, and also Mikael is strong, super strong, and a state like this, you know, is always important to try to put the right person on the breakaway. And the plan was to try to put all Kiato or or Mikael. Um, uh, um, Mikel Niebe, and then when the big guys move, uh, Landa, and it was perfect. So we have the both on the on the on the right on the uh, right on the on the, on the breakaway, and then it was all about trying to to see what Chris can do on the last climb. You know, uh, we never try to help anyone, just like stay calm and and uh, yeah, uh, I think we are pretty happy. Yeah, uh, Mikel move up on on GC is now one minute. I'm not sure. So it's just perfect for us. You know, if something happens again, we can really put pressure again more. Oh, it can become a cutter to win it. You can see it's stronger. Uh, it's super strong. Uh, we still, they you know, focus on for me, but that opened the cards for us really well. So we played. I think we played the right, uh, the right card, right card today. And uh, yeah, finger crossed. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, he's right. They do have cards to play. They do have cards. Even if all the cards, it's funny. Even if Lana's not a real card, so, so fake I, card. I, when I transcribed all the audio from Sky, so I had some Froome audio and some Portal audio and a couple other things, and I, I went back through after the transcription and just did a search for card. I think I came up with eleven different instances of the use of the word card in like a four-minute audio grab. It, for whatever reason, you know, when they had their team meeting this morning, they were they were definitely discussing cards, and the cards came up over and over and over and over again. House of Cards. It's a House of Cards. Could it? Uh, Oh, oh man, headline check. Team Sky's House of Cards. Oh, like collapsing yeah. building? We don't really know. Uh, listeners building. of the Velonews podcast, please send us your uh, card themed uh, potential headlines for Velonews stories <laughs> because sometimes it gets a little lonely out on the road, gets a little uh, dry and bored. We, we need some help with these headlines. We do need help. Yeah. Um, so I have a list, of here, thing, uh, list here of other things that I saw in the TV broadcast today along the road. Um, top of the list. So, Froome playing some possum, we think, maybe, on the uh, final climb of the day. That's the, uh, what's the name of the climb again? It's the site of the, tack, the, the uh, thumbtack attack. Oh, the Piguere. The Piguere. Yeah, yeah so... La- thumbtack uh, Hill. Thumbtack Hill. Thumbtack Hill. <laughs> which they, they banned fans from going up, which was a good thing, because last time I drove up that, I almost caught our clutch on fire, uh, because it was so narrow and the fans were caught... Like sort of all over the road, you couldn't actually go fast enough to be in first. You had to like ride the clutch all the way up. And then uh, former Velo News reporter, now Cannondale press officer Matthew Bowden, got kissed on the face by a Basque man, which was <laughs> another exciting thing that happened on Paguer. And yeah, this was the site of uh, 2012 where Cadell Evans got all the flat tires because some jerk turned a bunch of of uh, thumbtacks on the ground, attacked the road, and gave yeah. a, gave cycling one of its best gifts ever. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, oh, poor Jim Ockowitz. Jim Ockowitz falling in a ditch over just and over again. Getting Cadell his spare Sorry, wheel, Jim. pushing him out, and just collapsing in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> What was the original question about this climb? <laughs> okay, this was the Froom playing possum. Oh, right. Froom playing possum on the pig wear. Yeah. So basically what happened was he was kind of riding near the back of the group. <clears throat> riding near the back of the group and uh, kind of like letting little gaps open up and generally looking terrible. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell when Froom's looking terrible because he doesn't tend to look all that comfortable most of the time, even when he's riding really well. But he looked particularly bad, and uh, we all thought, oh, Oh my goodness, Froome is he's cracking. He's seconds he's, away from he's being seconds dropped. Seconds away from being dropped. And like Dan Mart was in the front, just freaking hammering. And he lets the Froome lets a little gap open up, and then as soon as they can see Kwiatkowski, he puts the hammer down and throws in a big old attack and proves that he was just faking it, basically. And I think that's relevant because it's the last time these guys are gonna let him even try to fake it. They're not, they're, there's no more faking it from Froome. We now know for sure. The moment of weakness on the Parasword uh, was just a moment of weakness. One moment. What's funny, I was talking to, uh, we'll just say, one unnamed writer. Ooh. (laughs) And they said that it's impossible to tell when Froome's going good or bad. Because he always looks so bad (laughs) on his bike that when he's really going bad, you can't really tell the difference. (laughs) Uh, We apologize to our British uh, listeners. Listener? We apologize to our British listener. And also the Kenyan one. Yeah. And the Kenyan one out there. <laughs> we don't dislike Chris Froome, but it is true. He looks a little... He can look like a, a little... Like a praying mantis. Yeah, a little gangly on the bike from time to time. <laughs> now, I was... I was look, was I was... A, uh, Chris, uh, our friend Chris, that was his good reference. Yeah. There, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was watching that section of the stage, and I, I, I was right there with you. I was like, wow, Chris Froome looks awful. He's letting these gaps open. His head's bobbling around. He's looking at the computer. He's about to get dropped. And then, boom, just with the full-on... The, the textbook Chris Froome spin cycle washing machine <laughs> rev the legs up to 250 RPM in the easiest gear and fly up the mountain attack. I mean, he looked good. He looked good. Good is one way to put it, yeah. He looked strong. He looked fast. Yeah. He was going quickly. <laughs> okay, That's- another thing on my list that uh, I have to say. Okay, Contador's dance, we, we covered that. Um, Contador working for Landa. Yeah, Dan Martin, you know, he is, I believe, in fifth or sixth place now. Um, you know, you, boy, you take away that crash on uh, Cat Mountain and uh, Montuchat. And you got to wonder what this race would be looking like for Dan Martin. He's obviously strong, but, you know, he suffered this back injury, can't really get out of the saddle, can't do the explosive attacks. Um, you know, you, you got to wonder what could be, what could have been for Dan Martin. I mean, I think a podium was wow. Podium is still possible, uh, but I think a podium would have been all but assured if he had been on his on a sort of full form here. You know, he's proven that even with that that handicap, essentially, you know, a back that's not working properly, he's he's one of the strongest guys in the race. He's certainly looked like the strongest guy on the Peguera today. Uh, yes, he got sort of gapped a little bit at the top, but that was after pulling for like three k. So I, I think it's a shame. You know, obviously crashing is part of bike racing, and, and, and you know all these guys will go through sort of rough patches like that. But it is a shame to see him with that with that issue. Uh, hopefully, I think I, I honestly still think he's going to end up in the top five in in Paris. Now, another anyway. guy who had a really good ride today, Rigo Bertova Run. Hoodie, you caught up with Rigo after the stage. Um, you know, what was his assessment of how things went down today? I think Rigo is in. An excellent position right now. 
but he's also just trying to play down expectations. You don't get the idea. Like, the great thing about Mikael Landa, he pounded his chest today and said, when someone asked him, who's going to win this Tour de France? He said, well, if it's not Chris Froome, why not me? And you don't hear Roberto Oran saying that. Great quote. Yeah, he's, I mean, <laughs> we love Landa. I mean, we need guys like that who actually will just say things that are actually interesting. Say what they think. <laughs> or what they hope. Yeah. Whereas Roberto Oran, He's like, he was just reaching deep into his bag of cliches. I mean, he just laid them all out there, right in a row for, this, for the Colombian media, because it was very funny today. The, I guess, evidently, the Cannondale and Movistar bus drivers are friends. So they always drive together, kind of caravan together on the transfers. They always park together. So it was great for the Colombian crowd of fans, because they were going from, Naro, 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 to Rigo, Rigo, Rigo. And they were just going back and forth between the two buses. It was absolutely hilarious. And so Rigo was there first. And he was digging deep into that bag. He was like, oh, Paris is very far. <laughs> One day at a time. We have to keep our feet on the ground. And he was just taking it stage by stage. Did you say cards to play? <laughs> he actually did say that. He said, no. He goes, now we have, uh, I said, hey, I got Rigo. How is uh, Froome looking? He goes, well, now they have Landa and Froome, very strong. We'll have to see which card they play. <laughs> I swear to God, he said that. That, that is definitely the cliche of the day. The uh, the cards to play cliche, definitely cliche oh, of the day. So many cards, house of yeah. cards. But like, I mean, to me, Rigo really is the big breakout story of this tour, right? I mean, Rigo, Rigo around. He's been around for a long time. You know, won that great stage a few days ago in one, you know, in a single speed. And <laughs> you know, he's kind of like the godfather of the whole kind of. Uh, new Colombian movement that's coming, this kind of latest wave of Colombians. He was the first one to come over here. And no way did he expect to be there. I mean, no way. I had a grab with uh, Charlie Gellius after uh, the big scrum there with uh, Rigoberto. Let's hear what he had to say. Is it, how much of a surprise is this to you guys inside the bus? Not a massive surprise. I mean, I just think he's going a little bit over expectations, but we're still talking about a high-quality rider. Mm. Uh, he finished eighth in the Giro last year, having been sick for most of the second week. Uh, and if you look closely at his past world, uh, you know, uh, three-week race history, um, he's always been there where he needed to be. But there's always been some kind of hiccup in his way. I think that uh, the route this year suits him, and he's just getting a clear run. So um, we're happy, uh, but it's not a shot in the dark. You know? Rigo has obviously been around the block quite a few years now. He has that experience, so he knows. Is he, is he reading the race himself, or are you guys having some good strategy decisions every morning before the start, state of each start? Yeah, I mean, you, we, we try and make a good plan, but like you say, you know, Rigo has a very, very cold head on him and a good racing head. And quite frankly, when it comes to you know these small decisions, uh, I don't want to interfere from the car, and I don't always have the information. So I think. Uh, you should just trust the fact that he's a good bike rider, and I think he is. Mm. Also, this team, relatively young, I think you have, what, three or four Grand Tour rookies? Yep. Is that going to backfire on you guys a little bit, perhaps, coming into week three, when you know perhaps a more experienced team might help deeper into the race? Yeah, but, you know, maybe the ignorance of what's uh, waiting for you can be, uh, keep you from having sleepless nights. <laughs> the, all of the riders in our group are riding above and our expectations, or what you would expect from them. Betiol's in his first tour rode exceptionally today. Nate Brown was in a group of 25 riders in a mountain stage yesterday without making any noise about it. 
Taylor Finney is going extremely well and Dylan Van Barlow was also dropped extremely late today so mm. you know they're all punching way above their weight I'd say yeah it's true I mean Rigo's been on our radar for a long time I mean I can remember watching all those Giro d'Italia when he would be uh, quick steps man for the Grand Tours and it just seemed like he was the guy who was like always almost there you know a real consistent rider maybe lacked the punch at the end of some of these stages but like you know he's sort of the his career got was the market correction by uh, Nairo really I mean he was the guy that was like the Colombian star who was going to win a Grand Tour hands down and then Nairo Quintana tried the Giro came around. a couple times yep. yep and it's like you take away Nairo you, you know a couple things change differently and he's uh, he's a Grand Tour winner yeah alright Kaylee wh- what's up next well, I have a question for you guys, uh, and this is brought up by our mystery guest. Our mystery guest had a question. Our mystery guest, uh, Stave Schmave Schmave Roll. Our mystery guest asks. All right, hypothetical, hypothetical here. Fabio Aru on the Galibier or the Isward or where, wherever. He's gonna have no teammates, right? No teammates. He's in the yellow jersey. He gets a flat. Do they wait for him? This is returning to our wait or don't wait Froom polemica. Do they wait for Aru with a flat tire? No way. Do they wait for <laughs> Aru? Nor do they wait for anybody at that point. Really? I mean, that like race is race is on full on at that point. Why well, would they, ra- they, they, they wait? Every, last man, time, every man for himself at that point. In the Galibier, the tour is hanging in the balance. I mean, the other day, you know, when uh, when Aru attacked Froom. There was a question of decorum, but a little bit different situation on the race. This is the penultimate stage on the Galibier. Everyone's racing, and you can't stop a race on the Galibier and diddle-daddle around and wait for someone to come back on. Hot take coming up here, guys. <laughs> uh, I think that Sky are still so confident about their ability to win this race that Chris Room literally gets off his bike, pulls out a patch kit, and patches the tire himself. <laughs> He's like, hey, hey, Fabio. Hey, hey. Look, man. Gives him his wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, buddy. I'm still so confident that I'm going to dust you in this time trial and that I have the firepower and the team to take you down, you the man of zero mountain domestiques. <laughs> that, like, hey, t- take my wheel, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want a snack? Nah, he'll get a two-minute penalty if he gives him his wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, he'll pull out the patch kit. He will fix Fabio Aro's tire himself. That's how confident I think Sky still are in this year's Tour de France. I, I actually, you know, I would hope. Honestly, I hate the waiting thing. I, I really hate the waiting thing. But I think that after the Froome Aru polemica before, I think they would have to wait for him. Like, if you waited for Froome, you have to wait for him, right? Otherwise, it's just so blatantly obvious that it's not actually. A gentlemanly rule it's just a like we're scared of team sky rule or something like that anyway uh, as, as a little aside i wanted to throw out that that hypothetical for us no that's a good question to ask because i mean look we're uh, you know basically approaching the halfway point of this year's tour de france we have as we really only halfway through yeah we're only well we're a little bit more than halfway, halfway. <laughs> but as hoodie wrote today on values.com this is the closest gc battle we've seen ever Really long time. With it, tell us more about that hoodie. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's not my statistic. It's something from the official uh, Tour de France timekeepers, the uh, the people that dig through these uh, this data bank. Uh, never in the history of the tour 
after going through stage 12, have three riders been within 30 seconds on GC. Of course, we've had tours that have ended closer, you know, of course, Greg LeMond, eight seconds. I think there were eight cases in the history of the tour where the winner was by less than one minute. So we're not there yet in terms of that, but in terms of where we are right now, this is the tightest Tour de France in history. So right now we have Fabio Aru in pole position, Chris Froome at six seconds, Roman Bardet at 25 seconds, Rugoberto Aran at 35 seconds. I mean, these are four strong riders all within 40 seconds. Uh, you go down the list and uh, Mika Landa, he's, at, he's in a minute at nine, still within striking distance for sure. I guess a question for me is, let's look at Chris Froome, Roman Bardet, and Rugoberto Aran. What are their pathways to victory at this point? I mean, Chris Froome, it's pretty obvious, right? Wait. Wait. Wait for that Marseille time trial. Yeah, wait for that time trial. What about Bardet? Pfft, he needs time. I mean, that's that's the hard part. Is Basically, everybody except for Froome needs time. And where are you going to get it? You have, they have essentially, ah, they have two perhaps three more options for getting time. I think the big one is that Isward stage. Uh, that is the only remaining uphill finish. And that is really the last chance for those, those pure climbers, the guys that are definitely going to lose somewhere in the range of 30 seconds to 90 seconds to Chris Froome and Marseille. They need to gain that ASAP. They need to gain that at really on the Isward stage or else it's never going to happen. I think the big sleeper in the Alps is going to be the stage that Serge Chevalier over the, the uh, telegraph Galibier combo with that long downhill grinder down into a uh, valley towards Briançon. Depending on which way the wind's blowing up that valley, that could be a real interesting stage because there will be some splits over that top. And I think this is set up in the bar day we've seen already on the stage over Mont de Chat. Exceptional downhiller. Even gapped out Froome, who has really stepped up his descending skills. So you'd see that scenario where Bardet is just licking his chops, trying to get over the top of that, gap out the rest of the GC boys, fly down the hill, get 30 seconds gap, get that 10 second time bonus, get that yellow jersey, and then at the Oswald, uh, you know, deliver that uh, another minute gap, and then maybe, maybe, maybe miracles of miracles of all miracles uh, win the first uh, French uh, Tour de France since Bernard Hito, 1985. Yeah, and then Whoa. there's Uran. I mean, I know. We need we, yeah. some more of that season. Yeah, we too. We, how many I beers have we had? How many have I had here, man? I'm like, I'm drinking. Cut this man up. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Cut this man up. He's drinking beer and Kool-Aid. Uh, and then for Uran, I mean, it's, it's interesting. You know, Uran is not a terrible time trial racer. I mean, he has... Uh, he it's won not, a not time a, trial at the Giro once, I oh, believe. Big, big, nasty, mean time trial. He won that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, Uran is a, is a highly unpredictable time trialist. Yeah. And that said, he's on better form than we've seen him on in years. And so I, I, I personally think that he's going to pull a time trial that is very impressive in Marseille. I think podium, very realistic. Winning the overall, not as realistic. But, hey, miracles happen. How stoked would Jonathan Bodders be if Iran was on the podium? Oh in Paris? man, he would wear all the funny sweaters, <laughs> all the, the funniest Argyle sweaters. He wear every funny sweater he owns, I think. Yeah, uh, guys, you know, before we move on, we need to talk about um, speaking of Jonathan Bodders, a little ruling that came down this morning. We were uh, driving to the stage start when we got 
um, some tweets sent to us. No, we got an email that basically said... Um, a text message from the UCI. Yeah. UCI had made a huge decision, which, uh, yeah, that whole polemica yesterday involving the water bottles and Roman Bardet, Rigo Iran, George Bennett taking illegal feeds... And the twenty-second penalty? Yeah, that's all over. They just—they went back on that. What, did, what? What do we make of this? You know, I think that the jury—they get uh, piled upon every time they make what's considered a wrong decision. I think they made the right call in this instance. You know, why are you going to be handing out twenty-second time penalties? You know, everyone say, well, the other guys followed the rules and they didn't grab a bottle from the side of the road because it looks like in the video replays, let's say Bardet <laughs> taking a bottle. The other guys are taking bottles. But the problem for the, the jury, of course, is they can only see what they can see. And then these videos come up. Everyone has an iPhone these days. So it's pretty easy to get out there. Oh, well, look, so-and-so had took a drink. So-and-so took a bottle. And I think they basically they said to throw their arms in the air and say, There's, the only way out of this is to just take back, pull back all those uh, time penalties. And I think, actually, in the context, especially in a 20-second penalty in a GC this tight, the tightest in tour history, you know, why ruin the race? Now, I'm with you. You know, it's almost as if, you know, first of all, the tour this year has seen multiple polemicas now where uh, the ruling in the moment has been uh, muddied by video clips that appear online afterwards. And I, I give the uh, UCI jury credit for looking at the video clips and uh, even the next day feeling okay reversing their decision you know I think what makes us so upset sometimes with the ruling of the UCI jury is that they make these decisions right in the moment you know like snap judgment it's harder than it looks I'm sure it's harder than it looks I I have tons and tons of sympathy for them but they have to make a decision and then they feel like they can't go back on it yeah I think what's missing here is is transparency and really what, what we're what we're still waiting for from both the UCI and the ASO and the jury itself is exactly how these decisions are made what the timeline looks like when evidence can be put forth I apologize for the yelling French child behind me. Uh, <laughs> He's a huge Bardet fan. He's a Big huge Bardet, Bardet fan. fan. Yeah. I'm not sure you can actually hear him. I don't know how far this microphone goes, but he's very he loud in my He did not ear. like your take. Yeah, I hated my take there. Anyway, uh, I think that the, you know, the job of the jury is very, very difficult. It's made even more difficult in the social media era, as we're alluding to here. That said, so the UCI... The, the explanation sent to us this morning, uh, the, the, the head of the, the press person for the UCI texted this to a number of reporters. Uh, okay, so here's the explanation. In light of the inability of teams to resupply their riders before the last climb of stage 12 the two, of the 2017 Tour de France due to specific circumstances of the race, which had blocked vehicles, the UCI commissaire's panel has decided to annul the penalties imposed on riders Serge Powell's George Bennett's and Rigoberto Oran. Wait, so they like, they they basically were like, uh, teams were super inept because of this thing, <laughs> so we're going to let it slide this one well, time. So basically what they took, they ignored all of the concerns that we had with their initial ruling, which is essentially, how are you treating three different riders who did the same thing differently, and just ignoring it. And saying, and, and "Oh blaming, well," blaming and, someone and else. Blaming someone how, else. That's how bureaucracy <laughs> works, baby. Yeah. Oh, we're so sorry that the teams were really inept in this moment. So, <laughs> we'll as a result, we're going to be super nice, and we're going to remove all of these penalties. I, you know, I still think that at the end of the day, this is 
the, the issue here is that we don't actually know how these decisions are made. We know who's making them, but, but we don't know, like I said, we don't know when they're getting evidence. We don't know when they're, they're not getting evidence. That was one of the big issues yesterday is, like, when do they stop taking new video into account? Well, that right? was it. I mean, in, back in the day, there was no video, and that was never even taken into consideration. And that's what drives everyone so insane. Because if the jury didn't see it, there's, there's I think, a uh, half dozen uh, commissaires plying the roads every day and they're on motorbikes they are in cars and they're always checking out uh, what the riders are doing uh, what the teams are doing and they hand out their jury decisions every day and actually this year's tour despite how many high profile cases there have been it's been pretty light in the old band category or in the, the fine category because some years it's just boom 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 it's like a two page report every day this year it's been pretty light I think they're taking a lighter hand they are trying to make a point in certain key issues. One was the safety in the sprints, and this other thing was about the illegal feeds. Eating. But I think that uh, what's happening here is we're seeing that the race jury now is being influenced by social media, by the technology. We were talking about this in the car driving around today, that I think it's becoming apparent that it's influencing their decisions. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, we need to talk about next, and you, you brought up social media, was that uh, Cannondale JPEG team owner Jonathan Vodders was very, very vocal on social media tweety. about this. Very tweety. <laughs> yeah. His Twitter fingers were literally like on fire. I mean, I was like, Vodders, stop typing so much. You're, you know, give your fingers a rest, buddy. So he took to Twitter and was very vocal about what was going on. And, you know. I and mean, also called reporters. He called, he called reporters. Us, he called Cycling News. Yeah. yeah I mean, he... he Told, called people inept. <laughs> yeah. And um, you contrast that with the the response of Bora after right. the Sagan, uh, after Sagan was booted stage four for the sprint. You know, I spoke with uh, Bora's head of PR today and he said, you know, hey, we didn't really want to influence people. We took a very mellow approach on social media. You know, we put out that video of Sagan saying goodbye to everyone. But otherwise, we just like had sort of a hands-off, let the situation play out type of uh, effect. And I do wonder if, you know, Vodder's taking such an activist role on social media with this polemica will, I don't know, change the way that team directors, team owners um, handle these things going forward. I mean, I think that it probably, it probably didn't hurt him. All the all the media, all the social media storm probably did not hurt his cause. But he was also like, calling the UCI repeatedly, uh, which may have also helped. I'm not sure he ever actually got through to the jury. Uh, we, we did not. We called. We didn't. We tried. We called the UCI. We, we, tried, the, we tried calling the UCI. Unless you got the boop, 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 boop. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. Hoodie, you got the no comment. I left a very, I left a very friendly message. Hey. Yeah. Hey. Ooh, sorry call about me. that loud noise. Call me back. Yeah. They never called us back. No, I, I know that JV was, was you know, he's calling around trying to, trying to, Push buttons where he possibly could. Uh, you know, there is a very distinct split between sort of corporate UCI and a jury itself, which is absolutely how it should be. And so, like, I know JV called the CEO of the UCI, uh, which is, it's not Brian Cookson. This is a different position. But anyway, he called the CEO, couldn't do anything because he has no control over what the jury does. And that is, again, is exactly how it should be because you don't really want outside pressures on the jury. However, it's clear that outside pressures affected the jury this time. I'm not, I'm not saying that it was the CEO of the UCI or anybody that JV called. I think it was more likely just public outcry yeah. 
for this decision. And I know that like you know Lotto Lotto Jumbo, uh, they also lodged a formal complaint. You know, they, I think they had probably the best case of anybody because uh, they had in the exact same video in which George Bennett took a bottle. This Bennett was 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 tagged with twenty second penalty. Uh, is Bardet taking a bottle from the exact same family? Now you have and, a you have an interesting story here, <laughs> Kaylee, because you spoke with George Bennett this morning about this very thing, right? I did. I try to I try to speak with George every day because he makes me laugh and he, he makes my he makes my tour de France brighter. Uh, <laughs> so basically, what George said was that you know he was kind of this is kind of tongue in cheek, but he was a little bit joking with me. I didn't have my recorder on at the time, uh, but he, he was joking that you know he knew last night that he would never actually be handed this fine because he knew that the only way they could do it is if they also gave one to Bardet. And he knew they would never find Bardet with 20-second penalty. That especially would never happen Bastille in a million days. <laughs> especially on Bastille Day. He's like, nah, I knew I'd be fine. Bardet was going to be fine. I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, I mean, there has been some, like, conspiratorial talk about, oh, well, all these decisions seem to be uh, going in the favor of French riders. But I do wonder, you know, uh, in regards to this illegal feed polemica, it's like, well, what happens to the UCI jury if they give Bardet Ooh. a huge penalty on the day that he wins, the day before Bastille Day, fireworks are going off across the country, literally France is having such a good time, and then the UCI just like the proverbial like the proverbial fart in the elevator <laughs> of just like, oh hey, by the way, I think the ASO I literally think those people like they don't make it out of the country. <laughs> you know? I think the ASO pulls the Tour de France out of the world tour. That night, I think last night, they pull it out. They're like, nope, change their minds. We have our own jury now. We're not listening th- to you. I think we could actually uh, thank our president. M- Mr. Trump was here today. <laughs> Met with Macron. They had a little huddle there as Melania was walking around, you know. And hey, man, they said, Trump said, hey. Sorry. We're going down a dangerous road here. Let's, we're, let's stop this one. Bardet's fine. <laughs> Wonderful penalty. Beautiful penalty. World class. World class. <laughs> Okay, well, we had an exciting day today, stage 13, the short stage. We loved it. I don't know. Today was one of those days that just sort of like reinvigorated my love of bike racing. Not to say that I had lost it all, but you know, you're on the, you're on the Tour de France. You have French people yelling you at you. You get pretty jaded. You get a little jaded. Yeah. You have the, the green shirts, the security people like asking to see your credential every 10 feet. Yep. Oh, poor us. Yeah, it's it's terrible here covering oh, Tour de France, sitting here on a beautiful square, a beautiful summer July evening in Toulouse. I know. You should feel bad for us, <laughs> listeners of the Vela News Podcast. Uh, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> you should, you should want to be here. Uh, well, guys, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, thanks for tuning in to the Vela News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer for Andy Hood and Kaylee Fretz. Uh, we appreciate you listening. I would ramble off the usual um, read that we do at we the end, but we don't have it. I, I have a little read. Uh, I would like to briefly thank uh, Cam and Mac Connor for doing the editing on the Bell News podcast while we're here at the Tour de France. They've been doing a fantastic job, Shabbat. and we thank them for their work. Oh, and if you want a free power meter, oh yeah, go to powertap.com slash News. Yeah. Yeah. We're, get, we're working with PowerTap uh, right now on the single-sided pedals, power meter, uh, in your pedals you can take it wherever you go and it will measure your power output so if you're like Kaylee and you just ride your bike all over the world just ride your bike all all over the world no working yeah Yeah. you can take those pedals with you I just dictate my stories into my phone while I'm riding (laughs) again that is powertap.com slash velonews and again 
thanks for listening. We, we, we appreciate it. We will see you again on Monday.